I woke up on the morning of October 14th with Year of Our Lord 2021. <laughs> just utter shock um, to hear that Michael Nazarali had converted to Roman Catholicism. Yeah, former Anglican uh, bishop. Bishop of Rochester. Mm -hmm. And um, for cradle Catholics, I immediately thought... I, I texted like, at 7 a.m., I think. <laughs> You're like, yeah, I heard. I know. <laughs> and like... For, for me, the first thing that came to mind was, like, cradle Catholics. Like, I I don't know if they even know why this is so significant or, or that it is. You know, mm -hmm. they just see sort of, like, a picture of this, like, Protestant-looking minister. And you're like, okay, I guess, yeah, whatever. But this is so significant because you've had three bishops now in the last few months who have come into communion with Rome mm -hmm. um, and are specifically going to be a part of the, the personal ordinariate. Um, that Pope Benedict had set up for Anglican churches and clergy to, to canonically come into, to canonically come into uh, Roman Catholicism and to maintain yeah. a lot of their English patrimony. Um, and, and then before that, you know, a few years ago, you remember that Gavin Ashenden was another one. He was sort of a chaplain to the Queen. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, a huge, huge voice. He had an Anglican yeah. podcast yeah. that yeah. everyone listened yeah, to. And well, and these well with with Michael Nazar Ali, he was somebody we we looked up to when we were Anglicans mm -hmm. because he was that voice calling out in the wilderness. Yeah, um, that was this conservative bulwark in in the Church of England. You felt like okay, finally there's a bishop who <laughs> in England <laughs> who who is deeply in love with Christ. Yeah, who knows the scriptures, who knows the fathers, who's a great theologian, and he's speaking truth in love. Yeah. And he was one of the, one of the founding members of um, of Gafcon, which was what we were part of. Our our mm -hmm. province in America, the Anglicans who left the Episcopal Church, came under the um, the leadership of the bishops of the Global South, Gafcon. Mm -hmm. All these Anglicans who are conservative. Well, Nazar Ali was part of getting them going because he here's a bishop from from England who's getting the Global South together yeah. to come in some sort of loose communion federation, we should say, to protect. Historic classical Anglicanism. Yeah, yeah, this is called the Anglican realignment. Um, yeah. For people who aren't familiar, it's it's basically because all of the the, the Episcopal Church in the USA, uh, the Church of England, and all these other churches um, of Anglican patrimony were going in this really strong, like progressive, secularist uh, direction. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, the ordination of women to the priesthood, ordination mm -hmm. of, of women bishops, um, blessing of same-sex couples. We had in America. Um, a homosexual, publicly homosexual um, yeah. man Gene named Robinson, Bishop, yeah. Gene Robinson, yeah. <laughs> named as Bishop. Um, so it, it was getting very ugly yeah. Yeah. in the Episcopal world. And so then these other Anglican groups left that world and began to create, try and recreate and realign to save Anglicanism. Yeah. And apart from like the, let's say, the Archbishop of York or of Canterbury becoming Roman Catholic, I mean, Nazarelli would be like the second tier. Yeah, yeah, the, the, that's how significant. Yeah, he was actually a candidate um, for a, a while uh, for the Archbishopric of Canterbury. Yeah, apart from that, this is as significant of a conversion to, to Rome as you can get. Yeah, for sure. In, in but church. I wanted to actually look at his statement. So he did actually release a personal statement on it. And, um, and I read it and I just like resonated with it so much yeah. it, it was just like it was touching actually because it reminded me of my own journey um from anglicanism to roman catholicism so this is his statement i believe that the anglican desire to adhere to apostolic patristic and conciliar teaching can now 
be best maintained in the ordinariate. Provisions there to safeguard legitimate Anglican patrimony are very encouraging, and I believe that such patrimony in its liturgy, approaches to biblical study, pastoral commitment to the community, methods of moral theology, and much else besides has a great deal to offer the wider church. Yeah. See, one thing I'm pulling from that is that, you know, Vatican II had this move to become more um, palatable to Protestants, okay? And there's negatives to that. We've seen the negatives to that for sure. Yeah. What Nazar Ali seems to be saying is that Benedict's creation of the ordinariate was the true expression of what Vatican II wanted. Mm -hmm. The true way to appeal to Protestants. Yeah. And that is to bring them into the church, into the church's own liturgy, but have them keep and maintain what was best. The great, the great things and what was absolutely best and orthodox about Anglicanism. Yeah. And the, the ordinary provided that way, and, and, and it was this truer expression of what Vatican II had intended, and he's saying that Benedict basically got it right, and mm -hmm. I agree that the ordinary has served that purpose. Yeah, and not only is Benedict getting it right from, from the position of Rome talking to Anglicanism, but he's also, I can kind of see, um, Archbishop Michael Ramsey had written in, in um, the Anglican spirit. And of course, in his gospel in the Catholic Church, his great work. But he actually had this view of Anglicanism where he said that it is by its very nature temporary. Yeah, provisional. It, it is provisional. Yeah. Um, the ultimate goal of Anglicanism is full communion for all the churches, not just with Rome, but with even the East, yeah. um, to reunite the churches. Yeah, it, he, he saw the, if, if Anglicanism... Uh, disappeared and dissipated into nothing. He said, "Well, that would mean that we're then we, we, we were successful. We were successful, <laughs> and we are we're, we we have communed with each other again." Yeah. Um, so, in one sense, you have the Benedict voice coming from Rome, uh, saying, "There's a lot of good here that ought to be blessed and 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 brought into um, the Catholic thing," and then you have from the other direction, Nazarelli, uh, kind of the Michael Ramsey thing that, like, well, this is its ultimate goal is to eventually get to full communion, yeah. and in this in this post Vatican II atmosphere. I know a lot of like traditionalist Catholics, like, of course, they have like the reservation about what happened in the fallout after the council and everything, and we can talk about that all day. But if you wanted to put a more positive spin on what has happened since the council, it has opened up the doors for something like this, for yeah. instance, because this would have been unthinkable in a yeah. pre-Vatican II Catholic For the church. ordinary, you're saying, yeah. Yeah, yeah, of course. Absolutely. Yeah. And when you go now and you look at but, the... But I would, I, would, I would submit to you that the uh, traditional Catholics view the ordinary, if they know of it, view the ordinary as a beautiful thing. Yeah. I know plenty of traditional Catholics who have gone to liturgies of the ordinary and said, wow, I didn't know that English vernacular masses could be done in such a way. Yeah. And we had, we had talked about this before. Um, I don't remember where that, when that was. We had talked about this where um, if you're... Probably if you're, on a car ride home. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> no, there's an episode. Where <laughs> oh, okay. we, we, oh, the mass of the ages. When we talked about how in Anglicanism there was this this whole move after the Oxford movement and everything where Anglicanism was actually getting very, very liturgically savvy and was translating a lot of these beautiful yeah. texts mm -hmm. that originally were of Roman provenance. Um, and so then Anglicans themselves became used to worshiping basically according to the Roman rite in beautiful English with great rites and ceremonies. And so that's kind of the brand of Anglicanism that very easily moved itself into Rome after the creation of the Ordinariate. And so from a traditionalist Catholic point, after you see what had happened 
uh, and the abuses of, of, of what has come to be known as like the Novus Ordo and the abuses of it, you're looking at it as a traditionalist Catholic and you're like, in many ways it's weird, but the ordinariate is better preserving a lot of the rites and ceremonies of the Roman Rite better than we are, mm -hmm. you know? Um, which, which kind of brings us to an irony about all this, right? Because it seems like, it seems like especially recently with the, the Sonava way, that we see happening in Germany um, and the synod and synodality. Right, that's going on literally currently and just kicked off. Yeah. It's, it's, we read it as former Anglicans, that the words that are being used and and how he ex, how Pope Francis explains what synodality is, we're actually hearing Anglicanism. Yeah. And we came out of that world, and Nazar Ali is coming out of that world saying that if we're going to survive this thing, if we're going to survive this secular, cultural Marxist assault on the church, the only place to survive it in has to be with Peter. In Rome. Yeah. It has to be Rome. If it's not going to be Rome, it's not going to be anywhere else, because guess what? Anglicanism was the last, <laughs> yeah. the bulwark of classical, patristic Christianity outside of Rome, you could say, yeah. among the Protestants, and it is falling apart. Yeah. Because they went in this synodal way, and then that bishop has authority in that diocese, and that you know you can't trade one you pope for a thousand. Yeah, you yeah. can't exactly. Yeah. They traded one pope for many, many popes. Um, I, I hear that same language coming out of Rome now. Yeah, and that's what's frightening. And then, so the message here of of Nazarelli's coming into Rome, Catholics wake up. Yeah, he's coming out of that kind of world, fighting progressivism, fighting cultural Marxism, these moves in the German Catholic Church to oh, maybe we'll ordain women or, or bless, bless same-sex same -sex unions, same -sex unions right? <laughs> this is the world Michael Nazar Ali is coming out of yeah. and saying... It's a hellhole. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I find in the ordinariate uh, salvation yeah. Yeah. from all of this. Yeah, and the ultimate goal of what we were trying to accomplish in the yeah. first place. And that's how I felt when I... When I um, when I was finally coming to the precipice, and I was, I was, I was kind of like, well, I was a postulant actually uh, for holy orders in the Reformed Episcopal Church, which is a jurisdiction of the Anglican Church in North America, which is a part of this Gafcon, Gafcon Global, Global South Conservative, yeah, this Anglican Realignment Movement. Um, I, and I was, I was having my postulancy under Archbishop Ray Sutton of the RDC, and it was during that time that in my local parish, beautiful parish, great people, even to this day, some of the best people I ever met, Nigerians who had been through much suffering. I mean, awesome. Yeah. But again, it was sort of like um, a time capsule. It was like trapped in the 16th century only. And and I, I, I looked and I said, but there's been so much development in Anglicanism since then, positive development in, in our deepening of the understanding of the liturgy and, and everything. And I would like look over, just kind of glance over <laughs> what the ordinary it was up to. And I was like, in a way, they're kind of doing the Anglican thing better than Anglicans are doing it. And especially when I would go outside of my parish, which is a very faithful, like, 1662 prayer book per parish, and I would go out to, let's say, a, a, a you know, ACNA parish that was, like, kind of charismatic or, or my, something. My parish, where I was going. <laughs> yeah, well. Or I was going. Uh, a much more, um, I don't know, low church evangelical kind of Anglican yeah. Um, church. Yeah, 1979 prayer book had, like, almost nothing to do, you know, not even the 
the classical Book of Common Prayer. Yeah. I mean, not even the Cranberrian. Yeah. I mean, it was completely... 62. Yeah. And, and so you're just like, what are we doing? And, they're, you know, it's charismatic, like dancing around. What is going on? You know, and then I'd look over again. I would see the ordinary, you know, growing and, and, and doing the Anglican thing better there. And I was like, what exactly is Anglicanism at this point accomplishing that Rome isn't accomplishing already? And, and it was a gut check for me. Um, and I thought to myself, you know, with the, like you said, with this, this culture, this new culture, this new world order that's sort of pressing itself upon former Christendom, where are we going to go to win this battle? Is it really here? Like, am I in it right now? Is it Anglicanism that's really going to take on these cultural because, forces? And because, of course, we saw it was losing while we were there. Yeah. We saw that our own conservative, conservative province was kicking the can mm -hmm. down the road because they were ordaining women. <laughs> but then some, some of the dioceses weren't. And yeah. like, well, we'll just exist together. Well, so some, not, yeah, so some sacraments will be invalid, but otherwise right, will be right. valid. And so like, it, it, it became quite confusing and you, and you stood, well, you're not fighting any battle then. Where, where's, yeah. the, where's, where, where we should be in the war. Right. Because we have these forces being pressed upon us from the secular world. Yeah. Yeah. It was at that time that I just felt this, it was the Holy Spirit. I mean, it was just this immense call of our mother, the church saying, come home. <laughs> you know, That's the point. You, we are in need of of we're of in need you, of we're in need yeah. of you to come back. You yeah. know, and, and not me. I'm saying you, general. Like we're in need of all you to come back to Mother Church because Mother Church is in a bad way. You know, Mother Church is struggling right now. Well, we we need you because what are the Anglican? What are the one things that Anglicans are good at? He he lists it. He lists it. Yeah, exactly. And you see in there, right? Yeah, he says it's. The Anglican desire to adhere to apostolic, patristic, and conciliar teaching, but 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 here's the here's the other parts of it. It's liturgy. The, the deepest study of the liturgy has been done really yeah. by Anglicans. Anglicans. The, I mean, the Oxford movement and beyond. I mean, but what I was going to pick out of that was the patristic. Yeah, the the the, the, the Anglicans were the first ones to really re-dive into the fathers yep. and i'm not talking about during the oxford movement. i'm talking about during the reformation yeah with somebody like bishop john jewell who writes his treatise against rome calling on the, the yeah. using the patristic fathers right saying you're not being this way mm -hmm. okay to them right and of course we would disagree with how he interprets that but he was pointing the church back to the fathers that was that was bishop john jewell that was uh bishop lancelot andrews that was bishop jeremy taylor these are all john cosen john I mean, cosen these were all um, Anglicans who are rediscovering the, the fathers and what's our experience? Our experience of Anglicanism was those Anglican fathers, yeah. And those Anglican fathers lit a fire in us to go study the fathers, yeah. <laughs> and that's we the Anglican divines led us to the the patristic church, mm -hmm. and here we are doing a Catholic channel <laughs> for the church, right? Talking about. The earliest church fathers. Yeah, yeah. And it, it also, it took you in steps where it sort of broke everything down and you had to rebuild it from, from the ground up. Yes. And slowly you're working through the fathers and you are building it and you come to a point of like conciliarism where it's like the councils and the consensus of the church mm -hmm. is where you, is where you, you know, you go for your interpretive method of the Bible. Like what did the church believe everywhere, always and by all within the Ascension Canon? Yeah. Um, that becomes your method. That was the Anglican call. Yeah. What, where, you know, where did the church always agree? And then whatever they agreed on, that's what we believe. That's what we believe. Exactly. But then you come to a point where you realize that the church didn't always agree <laughs> on, at, at any time, really, because yeah. you still have 
Um, you still have Orthodox out there who believe there's only three councils. You have Orthodox out there who believe there's seven. You have Catholics who there's 20. But even, <laughs> but even the idea of where do you stop, though? Mm -hmm. So yeah. the Anglicanism is leading you to the fathers and agreement among the fathers, but where, where is it? why do you stop in the, in yeah. the year 500? It's arbitrary. It's, it's, it's yeah. arbitrary stopping point. Yeah. Um, and so that's that's why you go along this trail. Yeah. And so that's why you get someone like Richard Field who, who said there's seven. There's seven ecumenical councils, right? And so he stopped for the Orthodox stop. But then the same arguments that Rome and the Orthodox have been having, where it's like, well, why would you press pause in the church's life there? You know, again, you just keep moving. But it was Anglicanism that sort of had that charism of a, a deep devotion to the Patristic Fathers while being Protestant. Mm -hmm. And that's where that becomes the entryway, the gateway. And this, this was the gateway for St. John Henry Newman. Yeah. And, and it's a reason why, actually, I think in our channel, uh, why we've had so many um, Catholics actually interested. They're like, I've never really like heard this stuff before. I'm like the father, because there hasn't been this deep emphasis on the early church fathers in Catholicism for quite some time, because we've been having a lot of Thomas debates, or we've had a lot of debates like about, you know, the Vatican II debates. But it hasn't really been centered on the fathers, and that's where Pope Benedict comes in. Mm -hmm. And that's why Michael Nazarelli really venerates Pope Benedict, because Benedict XVI was a patristic man. Very patristic man. You know? But the other charisms. So it's not only that, it's a, it's a study of the liturgy, like we said, um, because, again, it had to rebuild its liturgy from the ground up. So it starts going back to the earliest liturgies and then, and then through the Western history of the liturgy, the Sarum Rite, and so on and so forth. And so it has this deep um, understanding of the liturgy. Um, but its approach is a biblical study. So again, this bibliocentrism, this, this emphasis on knowing your Bible, praying your Bible, um, pastoral commitment to the community, smaller parishes. Um, Anglican churches tend to be smaller, and that's a good thing because the pastor really does, in a way, become your father. This is one of those charisms, actually, in Protestant churches in general, but more so even in Anglican churches because he really is father. Mm -hmm. uh, in Catholic churches, we have a temptation to have these just massive congregations with one priest who's traveling among so yeah, because unfortunately you know, so, yeah. sometimes with a shortage of priests but yeah exactly um and then you have what he says the methods of of moral theology um and then much else besides you know so he's he's listing out all these charisms of anglicanism and he's seeing that you know well i'm not lacking anything when i move into the ordinary i'm actually gaining more mm -hmm. um so in one sense it's a call to catholics to say don't go down this road, this synod and synodality, synodality thing that you're exploring. Don't go down this road. Don't decentralize what has taken centuries to build up and to strengthen and to produce Christendom. Yeah. Um, and in the other direction, I would say, you know, to former fellow Anglicans, like, what are what is it trying to accomplish anymore? Hasn't it exhausted its purpose in a way? Yeah, and, and one of the ways it has exhausted its purpose is that because of the ordinariate, you now have something like this book. Yeah, you have Divine Worship Daily Office, yeah. one volume, morning and evening prayer with the daytime prayers as well, in beautiful high liturgical English, given to us by the ordinariate using the tradition of the Book of Common Prayer, and the collects, and all the collects, a lot of the prayers kept in here are the prayers that you would find in the old Latin. Yeah. <laughs> the old Latin colics are still in this. Uh, this still tells time based on the old way. Mm -hmm. Okay, So this is preserving for you your Book of Common Prayer, your daily office. This is preserving for you the Benedictine tradition that was democratized in the Anglican Church. Everybody was praying morning prayer. You had to, because when you went to Mass, the normal Mass on, on Sunday for an Anglican, 
in the 16th, 17th, 18th century was going to morning prayer first. Yes. That would lead into liturgy. Yes. And then everybody was meant to say the daily office. Mm -hmm. Well, now you have that in Rome. Yeah. You have one for you. And that's a great strength. That's a huge strength of Anglicanism. Well, I think, I think this is the, I think this is the primary way that the, um, the ordinariate helps and in quote unquote enriches the Roman Catholic church is through the divine office. Definitely. Because when you're, when you're talking to Roman Catholic and you say, Hey, you know, do you pray the divine office? I mean, I'm, I'm serious. I like, like maybe 80% of the normal Catholic you talk to would not know what you meant. You talk to an Anglican, you say, do you pray the daily office? They say, yeah. They know exactly what, they know exactly what you're talking about. Um, and that is, that is the ancient form. It's the most ancient form of prayer in the church. In fact, I would say it's the highest form of prayer in the church. It most is, Catholics, if I, said, if I said, what's the highest prayer? They'd say the rosary. Yeah. <laughs> Outside of the mass, what's the highest form of prayer? It's, it's actually the daily, it's office. The daily office. It's the Psalms. That's Which the, the rosary prayer. was based off of. Mm -hmm. Like, it's because, because, you, because you can't get to have the time to pray the daily office, here's a rosary. Mm -hmm. That's basically what it was. So, and the rosary developed out of the Psalms as, yeah, as well. Exactly. Yeah. So right there, I think that's a great example of the great charism that, that the ordinary and Anglicanism is bringing. But when you go back to the Anglicans and say, you know, what, what is it that, that there is still left to accomplish for Anglicanism? It's like, is it faith alone? And like, you know, apart from works that none may boast, it's like, well, you, you kind of gave that up when you started to venerate the Wesleys who are yeah. Arminians, yeah. you know, like, is it like a simplified form of the liturgy, you know, where you take out all the hocus pocus and the signs of the cross? Well, I mean, if you're, if you're being honest with each other, the simplification of the liturgy after Vatican II has already happened as well. Rome gave basically everything, almost everything that the original Anglican liturgists were asking for. So it's like, and then what is it, an emphasis on the fathers? Well, Roman Catholicism has also recovered that. Mm -hmm. um, is it sort of a nuancing of the papacy? Rome did that, Lumen Gentium. Um, so it's like, what are you waiting for? Come, it's like, come back home to your mother because we need exactly you. Yeah. You have been through the fight, the cultural fight. You're the people we need yeah. to, to hold the line. In because these... you've seen where it leads when you cross the line. Yeah. And, and whereas these Roman Catholics who grew up Roman Catholic never knew anything else are like, this is a well, good there's, idea. There's that tendency <laughs> among cradle Catholics to say, oh, the church will always be here and the gates of hell will never prevail against it. Yeah, but it doesn't mean that the church can't fail. Yeah, for a time. It doesn't mean that church can get tiny, tiny, very tiny, which is what Saint, Pope Benedict, uh, Saint Benedict, Pope, <laughs> Pope Benedict, you said the quiet thing out yeah. Pope Benedict XVI has, has said and prophesied about that the church will become small. And Jesus says, when I come back, will I find faith on earth? Yeah. So yeah, ultimately the church will not fail, but are we about to embark upon a time when we will a great, go a great underground, apostasy. a great apostasy, and the church uh, fails for a time? The truth will never go away, mm -hmm. but maybe this is that time. Yeah. Or maybe with the help of Anglicans who've been in the fight for all these years, who have seen the end result, which is a horrid result, and are now coming back to Rome, help us in the fight. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And I don't want to. Um, I don't want to sound triumphant about this this conversion story of of Nazarelli as well. Like. I know what that felt like as an Anglican when you watch one of your best and brightest walk into Rome. Oh, like, yeah. yeah. Yeah, there goes another one. Like, it's a big morale yeah. blow, especially when these Anglicans are going through the absolute worst thing that you can go through. Well, they're being betrayed daily yeah. by their clergy yeah. and their hierarchy. And, and, and you think of the martyrs. Them. You think of the martyrs in yeah. Nigeria, the church. If you talk about the church in Nigeria, that means the Anglican church. Yeah. Um, they're the majority church out there, millions of them, and hundreds 
all the time are being killed and persecuted. Yeah. Um, they are a martyred church. And so you think about them too, that they're out there dying for the faith. And yet here's the hoity-toity Church yeah. of England or the Episcopalians, who are even worse, um, ruining the deposit of faith. Yeah. Even just the basic rule of faith, they're ruining. Yeah. That's a, a tragedy. And so, yeah, it's not triumphalism. It's come over here and help us win yeah. this battle that is taking place in the Western world. Yeah, and, and, and the thing is, in the past it was come here to Rome and help us win this battle, but first you got to get rid of your Anglican stuff, you know? Yeah. But that's not even the case anymore. It's like the best of what you have to offer has already been baptized by Rome. Like, you are free to be and develop exactly as you are into full communion with Rome. Mm -hmm. um, come and fight the battle with us. Um, so, yeah, I just I thought it would be good for us to do uh, a little comment on Michael Nazarelli well, because well, he welcome, was a huge hero. Yeah, welcome to Michael Nazarelli uh, to to the church and we pray for his continued ministry because it's said that he will be now a priest in the ordinariate. Yeah. I'm um, super excited to have that voice. It's for us. It's like we lost him when we moved to Rome. There was a loss. It's yeah. like, I lost him. He was a spiritual father. Yeah. Um, and now God has given him back to us. Yeah. And believe me, you're going to see, he's going to be a, a voice, a great Orthodox voice um, for not just Rome, but for the ordinariate. Yeah to promote the ordinariate's mission uh, in enriching the whole church. Definitely.